Welcome to Base Space. A crypto podcast. Base Space. Hey, how's it going, guys? We're doing well, we're brother. Doing well. We're, uh, we're just talking about the cream exploit that happened. Oof, yeah, I was actually talking to Leo Chang uh, about a week and a half ago. Oh, snap. Who's that? Wait, who is Leo? Uh, he's one of the, the co-founders from, from Cream. So very, I think all the guys over there are pretty hardworking and pretty cool people. So it's unfortunate that this happened to them. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, we hear about these things all the time. I think the industry is so new, you know. Um, we're still fig- figuring out the kinks. No, yep, 100%. So, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the invite, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. We're uh, we're pumped to have you here as well. Um, my name is Mewtwo, and I'm the founder of The Base Space, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Chase and Super. What up, Urban? Hey, Urban, how's it going? Welcome to The Base Space. Hey, guys. Super excited. Who's uh who's on the open air account? Are they gonna speak or is it is it just you? <laughs> it's Hi just there. Me. Um, yeah, it's Fina. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, I mean, since we haven't had you guys on here before, uh, we always like to get started by kind of asking, like, how'd you guys get started in crypto? Yeah, sure. Do you want the long story or the short story or the medium size story? <laughs> whatever you feel like giving. <laughs> yeah, whatever story you want to go down. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so personally, you know, myself, I started in crypto back in back in 2012, and you know, it was just honestly through my sister who was in computer science. So pretty early on, she kind of pushed me to kind of explore crypto, and so around that time. You know, I was learning how to code um, and pretty much launched a, a Bitcoin startup like super early. Uh, a lot of haters from traditional finance and it's called the central bank. Actually, if you click on my on my profile, you see like a link on the tag on the tag post from back in the days. Uh, and so pretty much, you know, ended up getting deep into the space, uh, you know, talking to folks on uh, Bitcoin talk, you know, Peter Todd and stuff like that. And then um, I think it was a bit of like two harsh years from 2012 to 2014 when you know, Bitcoin is still becoming known around the space. And uh, around 2014, I'd say, when a lot of like the traditional investors, investors and people started catching on, you know, we ended up exiting our startup successfully. Uh, and it was right after this uh, big event that we did uh, for for Citibank. Um, and so that's how I really got started. You know, from then on, around that time, you know, there were talks uh, about Ethereum. Uh, there was like the Rare Pepe's uh, launch that came out, you know, later on in 2016, 2017. Uh, and pretty much ended up, you know, going down the rabbit hole since then and working alongside different projects. So a lot of the open source protocols that you know, I've, I've been involved behind the scenes doing research and implementing stuff. But also throughout the time, honestly, um, particularly on an academic level, I was uh, not only doing Bitcoin and blockchain research, uh, I was also looking into gaming and particular immersive reality tech and this notion of telepresence, which essentially it encompasses the ability to kind of be present uh, remotely 
uh, either to a virtual or a physical avatar. So if it's a physical avatar, it's essentially a robot. So being able to see, hear, and feel the remote environment. And if it's through a virtual avatar, it's either in a virtual space. And so this includes, you know, kind of kind of like the ability to receive feedback um, as a human being. And so when you think about the future really of the metaverse, and you think about physical avatars and virtual avatars, the notion of crypto economics and the ability to interact with these avatars in a peer-to-peer -peer fashion makes more sense. And so that is really long story short on my end, you know, it also involves, you know, some things that I did at Goldman Sachs uh, from 2015 to 2017, where I led blockchain strategy and also stuff that I did in Asia that relate to gaming and crypto. But that I would say is like the long story short really in terms of how I got into crypto. Yeah, oh, very, very, very cool. Um, yeah, I know, I know you've led uh, blockchain strategy at Goldman Sachs. I'm super curious about that. Like, what was that like to work at like a traditional bank and kind of uh, work in their crypto division over there? <laughs> Oof, but uh, honestly, you know, like if, if there's anybody that's been in the space since like 2011 and 2012, you've seen like kind of things change drastically where. I remember back in 2012, when, you know, we wanted to like discuss, uh, you know, like Bitcoin with like traditional banks and firms who were doing kind of like this innovative cha innovation challenges. Um, they would kind of look at you weird with the concept of like, hey, you know, this is new money or new sound money. It's peer to peer uh, because it didn't make sense. Right. So towards 2014, 2015, kind of them catching on. And so during that time, I was presenting actually a research on just like a peer-to-peer -peer distribution system uh, at a conference. And then it was like, I think it was 20, 2014, 2015, around the time I exited and ended up meeting someone from Goldman Sachs. It was a partner. And he's like, hey, you know, it seems like you're doing a lot of great work here. You know, we here at Goldman are also thinking, you know, about the next technologies. And they're like, we're a tech company. And, you know, this is the first thing they they, they, they told me back in the day. So no, this was pretty, it was pretty young. Um, He's like, so don't don't mistake me with a suit. Uh, we're a full tech company, and we're looking to bring on board people who can, you know, guide us towards the future. And so, you know, for my end at that time, I was pretty heavy onto Bitcoin, and I was like, okay, you know, like, you know, these banks are essentially, you know, intermediators. Um, they don't like to to perform peer-to-peer -peer transactions without taking a cut. We look at the remnants market, and you know, back then, for example. Um, I think up to 2014, you know, there's a lot of talks on M-Pesa, which is, you know, this company in Africa uh, that essentially allows people to make uh, payments through their, their cards. And so it was really hard to kind of break into this market, right? And kind of say that Bitcoin is a new sound money that can allow for, you know, trustless peer-to-peer -peer transactions. So I was kind of like, all right, you know, it's, uh, it seems interesting. I would like to know the monster from inside out. Uh, and so I was like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll join for a co-op. Uh, ended up joining, you know, and like, if you really like, if you seriously go back, like on Bitcoin talking, you see people talking about banks, they're always talking about these kind of like them being outdated, you know, entities. They talk about the mainframes and they talk about, you know, how they're thinking backwards. And so, you know, honestly, I would say that there were institutions at that time. Um, I'm not going to name, of course, any, uh, they were a bit outdated. Like they were using mainframe technology and technologies are really outdated and they had no innovation strategy back then but you know goldman sachs in particular was pretty pretty advanced uh, they were thinking about all this stuff beforehand so but the only difference from these other banks that you're not here like you know bny jp morgan was that you know goldman sachs was or is not the first mover right so they're behind the scenes kind of scoping the market and seeing okay is this what's, what's going to happen is jp morgan going to come on board 
okay, what's the strategy? And so, and so in reality, you know, from a business perspective, that makes sense because it takes a lot of time and resources and money to kind of be the first mover. And so GS, honestly, like from our discussions was that, you know, they want to kind of see whether something uh, fails and if it fails to go ahead and launch and make it better or if it succeeds to go ahead and take these lessons and make the next better product. So those are my key takeaways. But, you know, again, like any traditional bank back in 2015, which is the time that I officially joined to like 2017, was still in the research phase. Right around that time, people were now coining these notions of a like a distributed ledger technology, which essentially were you know private blockchains. Uh, and so nobody really want to come board and say you know we're going to use tokens to uh, to optimize our back office work. And then you know Goldman Sachs was the first one to come with this, uh, this notion of of a coin that you can use behind the scenes. So uh, it was a very interesting, but you know again always bureaucratic and still a bit slow to move. You know particularly because. These are regulated entities, but in some, I'd say that Goldman Sachs is honestly one of the most advanced financial firms in there. You know, they're pretty small compared to other big banks in terms of size and, you know, also their big, big goals and products. I love that. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, dude, it's crazy to see like where, where you've witnessed the, the entire transformation of, you know, banks basically bashing Bitcoin and, and crypto and now, now, now we see banks kind of starting to FOMO into the space and and start to accept blockchain uh, as a as a technology. So that's a that's a pretty cool perspective. I don't think we've heard uh, before on on the space. Um, I'm actually curious, like, in in your eyes, like, what do you what do you think is one of the biggest blockers from uh, a lot of these like higher, uh, larger corporations? adopting blockchain technology like public blockchain technology so you know like i'll probably back uh, back off a bit and say that so from a conceptual level right um essentially blockchains or any kind of blockchain technology allows you to disintermediate trust but in exchange for that trust you're always going to pay some kind of fee or financial for every financial transaction or kind of transaction that you make you know and this is happens when you look into proof of work, when you look into proof of stake, you know, you're paying for trust, but this trust is quote unquote decentralized or disintermediated. Now, when you're performing, you know, peer-to-peer financial transactions or any transaction of economic nature in traditional markets, right? You're still paying for that trust. You're paying the bank some sort of fee, whether you know it or you don't, or you do, or you think you don't. Uh, if you have some kind of savings or, or checkings account, for example, like uh, we're opening up a, a business account, they're like, okay, you have to keep, you know, like over $10,000, otherwise you get, you get charged a fee. Okay, well, why? Because they have to manage our money. They have to manage our ledgers. Uh, and so honestly, that is the business model for financial institutions. So at one point or another, whether I admit it or not, you know, being able to use some kind of public ledger that provides this kind of decent decentralized trust, right? And allows for peer-to-peer transactions and it kind of destroys their business model in a sense. That's at a conceptual level, I would say. Now, the other part, because there's there's a lot of use cases where, you know, outside of like, you know, financial transactions where blockchain could be used internally, and this is the back office work um, that blockchain could be used. And so, the problem then is, you know, how do you integrate this kind of open source software, you know, that 
could or could not be audited into a regulated workflow. And so that is a huge constraint. Uh, and so if, you know, you ever worked into a large corporation, in particular in the financial industry, they get regulated. Uh, even if you if you try to, like, for example, if you're a software engineer, um, you're essentially gated with within what packages or open source software you can use. It has to be vetted beforehand. A lot of times, honestly, when I was there and even other, other financial institutions that I consulted for, we were using like Node.js libraries that were like almost a year old. And the reason for that is because someone had done, you know, the due diligence checked or they got audited to make sure that there's nothing that could, you know, affect or interact with the pieces of software internally. Uh, and so on that notion, you know, like thinking about that, you know, just being able to have something that's public or, or you know, public contributor, there's, there's that constraint, right? That financial institutions are regulated. But honestly, I would say that, let me see, I don't want to say like it's a percentage, but I'd say probably like 70 to, to 80 or 90% of, of some of these, uh, it, some of these divisions within uh, banks that are working in blockchain tech know that the core value is in public infrastructure, right? Because there's a huge shift early on in the 2000s, you know, when open source software became big, when you start seeing uh, Hadoop, Kafka, you know, MongoDB, even partially being, you know, having this streaming model and Red Hat coming on board where, you know, banks were like, snap, you know, I'm here tied up with this, this licensed software, you know, uh, from IBM and Microsoft while everyone else is getting ahead. And so then they started adopting open source software, you know, like huge institutions and other corporations use products like Hadoop, Kafka, any Apache product. It's become the de facto. And so whenever, you know, went off to, I was in Goldman Sachs or went to their like financial institution, they know that there's a lot of value in truly open source software that has large communities, you know, because it gets audited faster, it gets, um, evolves faster. And so they know, and, you know, one example to, to really completely give you, and I don't mean to, to bash this project, but, uh, uh, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was around 2016, 2015, uh, R3 consortium. If you look up R3 consortium, you know, they kind of created this consortium for financial institutions to develop some quote unquote, um, distributed ledger technology. So quote unquote, like a private or consortium ledger. And so fine, you know, a lot of, a lot of banks had to essentially like jump on board and say, okay, we'll give you you know, a few grand, et cetera, and we'll join the consortium and you can essentially give us research, right? In terms of how we can use blockchain and, and it's good PR overall. So they went on for, I think about two years and by year two, they were like, okay, you know what? We're gonna go for our second round and also increase the amount of funding that we want from consortium members. And probably about half of them dropped in. I was like, honestly, I like, I mean, I don't mean to say in a bad way, but it's a business decision also that where I was the one that said, you know, this doesn't make sense for us to continue this consortium. Like I gave the thumbs down and we stepped out. And, you know, we as Goldman Sachs were like the biggest player there in this consortium, right? And the reason was because we sat behind the scenes and said, okay, you know, where is this technology going? Does it make sense to have, you know, private or consortium blockchains in a 10 year to 20 year, you know, expansion? And, you know, the answer is probably most likely no. In the short term, yeah, because regulation hasn't really caught up. Uh, you know, markets have not adopted the technology, but in the long term, they will. Uh, and so it's just a matter of time. But again, that's a, that's a quick, really, summary. You know, one of them is regulatory oversight and, and in terms of how markets moves. You know, financial institutions are regulated by the government. And the other part is really 
you know, how do you introduce a technology into software that I see that outdated or that does not have the, the, the right components to integrate into blockchain. But, you know, people are working on this, on these problems and these questions. Yeah, that's, um, that's super fascinating. I could, I could sit here all night and ask you questions around that because that really kind of hits on a lot of my interest of, um, you know, the more corporate side adoption and what that looks like for the larger ecosystem at play. But, you know, switching gears there, getting back to um, open era, like how, how continue your story, your history, how did you find your way to open era? Yeah, you know, so, so I think, you know, personally, you know, when I, when I first learned about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and, and I looked at the IRC chats and everything, it's just a very futuristic conversation that took place. Even back then, where they didn't have much sense or notion of, you know, of financial markets or you know traditional Keynesian economics, you kind of understood what was going on, some of the problems that were there, right? Um, and at the same time, honestly, probably like I think most people that are in tech, you kind of imagine a future where you have, you know, robots or you have this kind of high tech um, being evolved, right? And so it, it honestly, if you think about it, it almost all comes together, and so. You know, along, along that long those lines, we always started discussing about games, you know, early on and how you use crypto or Bitcoin within games, right, to simulate some kind of real world economy with, with value. And so, you know, throughout this past year, I was always building different games. Uh, I really got heavy into academic research doing, you know, game image development and then and then started for pretty much like going from there. And so, you know, at some point, uh, I ended up, you know, leaving Goldman Sachs. And then on the side, I was doing like different kinds of like projects, like personal projects related to gaming and robots. And then when I went to, when I went to Asia, uh, I was in Korea and Japan for some time doing, doing consulting a bit and taking some time off. I was still building games, but ended up making, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of friends who were a bit older than, than myself. And if you guys have been to, to Japan or, you know, particularly Tokyo, you know, that, you know, even the oldest communities are really high tech, like they're playing video games on their phones or on their PCs. And, you know, at some point when I was like kind of playing around building my, my own game and also exploring like smart contracts, it's like, you know, they had kicked off. Um, ended up meeting like older folks who, who were playing these games, but in particular, you know, like they were MMORPG games, but they were always keenly focused, I noticed, in particular experiences, right? And I kind of realized at that point that, you know, a lot of times when we build games like MMORPGs, you know, a lot of folks focus on the grinding part. There's a wider breadth or a wider audience of, of individuals that kind of want to experience maybe the community, right? And so, like, for example, in that case, when I met these older, older folks who became my friends, they were playing the shopkeeper. And he played the shopkeeper because he just liked interacting with people. And so we go into this kind of MMORPG world and that's what you do. He pretty much collected or sold or traded. And so I guess he would go in there like a few hours a day, back and on and off. And then someone else, you know, that I met, like just to go in there and play the fishing game. And that's pretty much what we want to do. And so that kind of always stuck, stuck with me, you know, as I kind of kept on building like our own, my own personal games and making friends. And so when later I came, came back to the U.S. and started getting more into immersive reality, uh, you know, research and more towards gaming, uh, we ended up building, for example, this, uh, what people call like a ready player one suit. So if we kind of like Google telesuit, that's, that's the name. You put my name, you see it. Uh, ended up thinking about how this integrates and comes all together. And, 
And so along those lines, you know, I met my, my co-founder, Sean, I think he's here, you know, Sean Su Lin, and he was doing a lot of like VR research. So he was building his own game engine. He was looking into, you know, how, how to make um, VR experiences more immersive and how they could be used for, for, for different, you know, health related issues. So close to the, the research field of human computer interaction. And so, you know, honestly, like we were doing different hackathons, probably like we've won together more than 20 hackathons. And so we touch upon like, you know, like a whole bunch of different blockchains, like Harmony Want, Binance Smart Chain, you know, I became like a, like a Binance fellow at some point and then left. Uh, we ended up doing Avalanche, you know, early on Ethereum, Cosmos, for example, you know, I love those guys over there. Uh, but then, you know, the pandemic hit and so everybody was put on hold. And so we were like in our homes for about a year, kind of still trying to do research together remotely. Um, and, you know, it just, we realized that a lot of the tech uh, that we were building, you know, within our research labs, which related to like the game engine stuff, and they related to things like content generation or, you know, generative 3D models. So for example, the ability to, the ability to create uh, 3D models just using um, random data. So, uh, you know, the true potential of, of this tech uh, wasn't as much in the physical space, rather in the virtual space. So meaning the ability to create, you know, virtual worlds or, or a virtual world where you can create almost anything. So for example, the research that we were doing with robots where we kind of wanted to allow the robots to gain context uh, when speaking to someone that was a conversational agent. Uh, and that was a narrative generation component. Uh, and then we look at the 3D model stuff. Well, this fit in with our work that we did where we wanted the robot to sort of infer on where objects were located. So the robot had to generate some, some sort of model um, and so it just made sense for us to kind of like, you know, implement it into a game or integrate into some games. And so, you know, a year through pandemic pass, Sean and I kept on building, we did some AR stuff. And then we finally joined GetCoin Kernel, which, uh, the GetCoin Kernel Fellowship. And, you know, at that point, Sean and I said, you know, Hey, let's build something, you know, we've been doing this different hackathons. We had like all this tech, let's, let's build something, a game for the long term. And so we were like, we're done with, uh, with doing hackathons. This, this is it. Let's build something like honestly, because we had gotten grants from Chainlink, Ave, and other places. So we just wanted to build something like, like for long term, right? And build a bigger community than we had before. Uh, and so we, we joined Getcoin Kerno and we ended up meeting Sam or SBF. Uh, and then he mentioned Solana. And so he's talking about gaming and he mentioned Solana and then they, we've got Brown stage and he's like, and also you should come in Solana and Serum and we have this hackathon happening right now and it ends in like two weeks. And so, you know, Sean and I pretty much looked at each other and we were like, should we do, should we do it? I mean, Solana was like one of the only chains we hadn't touched and we we're like, all right, we're like, F it, let's, let's go ahead and try it out. And so two weeks in, we had to learn the entire stack of Solana, which is different, you know, programming model from Ethereum. Um, the tools weren't ready, honestly, there, there wasn't a wallet, um, but we made it work. We created, I would say it's like, really, it was a proof of concept of like some MMORPG game, which was a bit of a mixture between the game Overcook and an RPG, where essentially you had to go hunt monsters to get ingredients. And these ingredients were rare, you know, they had a rarity table. And so they were NFTs and you, you fight them you, and you mint them, then you cook a dish and you can enter a tournament. And so from then on, we ended up winning the Solana Hackathon. So, uh, I think they said we were kind of like the first, like, bit, like more polished games that we built on. And so we were pretty psyched. 
we we loved the team really behind Solana we we met Anatoly and Raj and then Bartosh and everybody else you know and Tristan like pretty much from FTX was a key like a key person that brought us on he pulled us in uh into Solana and it just it's just a good fit for us and so for then on we we won the hackathon uh and we were building the game that this cost issue were but then we felt like we needed to kind of like expand for this small concept of like a cooking RPG game and build something um, where we can integrate the previous tech that we talked about. And so that's really where Open Era came about. And, you know, like behind the scenes, Sean used to do a bit of professional gaming, amateur professional gaming back in China. And Tomas is listening in. He's a huge, like hardcore RuneScape gamer. And I also back then used to play RuneScape. So I was kind of eager to like play around and think about the economic models that could be implemented, you know, in a, in a RuneScape or Albion Online kind of game. So that is in short. And so now we're ready, honestly, uh, getting ready to release a private alpha or a second version of a private alpha soon. Uh, and also we have some new announcements that relate to, to our wallet. That's, that's super fascinating. Uh, very rich history there, like in the space. Uh, before we get into like more in depth on open air, I'm actually curious, like what drew you to the Solana ecosystem, you know, cause it seems like you're the barrier to entry for you guys just seemed pretty high. Cause you had to like relearn everything. So like, what was kind of the draw there? So, you know, I think if, if you've been, uh, if you've been across different chains and, you know, top of my head, the ones that, that we explore have been, you know, Ethereum in particular, the community, some of the L2s, Polygon, I, I love the Polygon folks. I met them like pretty early on. I'm actually part of a few DAOs and Polygon. I'm not sure if NF is here. I see rare pizzas and snacks from Pizza DAO. Um, other places, you know, like Harmony also back early on this year, they were still pretty nascent and we love the team there. Uh, and Avalanche, you know, all of them have different cultures, I think, you know, particularly the team internally and how much support they can provide you at any point in time. And so we joined Solana ecosystem at a point in time. It was an inflection point, I would say, uh, because, you know, the documentation in Solana wasn't there yet. Uh, but it, just the fact that the tech was built out and was ready to be yes was, was pretty impressive. So it's kind of saying, you know, you found something that is, is, is not polished, but maybe stick around, you could polish it. And there's a great community. You can keep on polishing and making it sort of, and turn it into a diamond. Uh, and so that was one thing, but also I would say, and I'm not speaking against other, other blockchains, but, you know, just the, the vibe and the culture behind Solana, you know, internally the team, when I talked to them, you know, I talked to Anatoly and Raj was very different. It wasn't corporate. Um, I, I encountered some blockchains who were a bit cor too corporate really on that side. I think they just wanted to build and bring builders on, which was a huge plus. And so we weighed the pros and cons and we said, look, we want to build a game, but there isn't a wallet. Yeah, right. But will that wallet be there in the next five to six months? And the answer was yes. So we looked at the tech stack. It was Rust, which is solid. Rustless is pretty much the next generation language for everything. You know, Polkadot is using it. Avalanche is also looking into doing that. Uh, and other chains that you're using are using Rust. Uh, and then the second part was the community, you know. So is there a chance for us to be one of the first games or one of the first products and kind of garner our community? And, you know, the answer, the answer there was yes. But I would say that particular initially for, for, for us, it was really the community that was there, you know, the founding team and also the opportunity. Uh, and yeah, we're really happy to be there. And we also love working with other, other blockchains and other communities. You know, our wallet is, is multi-chain, for example. 
Yeah, with, with the uh, with the game that you guys are planning to launch, um, can you kind of describe to us like what what the gameplay is is going to be like? Is it going to be very similar to how like RuneScape would play out or World of Warcraft in these kind of open worlds? And I'm also curious, like, how is it going to be different with like Web 3.0 um, and and the new technology um, that's currently happening in the space? I think you're uh, muted, Urban. Oh, okay. Oops. No worries. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, the core the core mechanics of uh, of Open Air, you know, are very similar to I'd say RuneScape and Albion Online. So you have your PvP, PVE. Um, we're experimenting really on um, PvP stuff because I think we can. I think we go on a separate conversation long, long to talk about how you can change uh, PvP once you have you know a crypto economic incentive. Uh, but one particular thing that you know it's a bit different from from these uh, these games or even from WoW is that when you think about, for example, Albion Online being classless, right? So in Albion Online, you don't have any classes. Your, your class or who you are within the game is really defined by wearables. Like you can wear a staff, and you can you know maybe wear some some kind of suit of armor, and that sort of defines you know your stats in the game. And for example, you start to think, okay, well, these are wearables. Well, where are these wear NFTs? What does that mean for the gameplay? Could perhaps someone, you know, grind and level up and maybe trade or lend or borrow someone else's skills? So that's when we start, you know, creating different kinds of mechanics. And so, you know, currently we are doing some formal analysis to see how they play out, but these are different opportunities that could come about. The other part is that when you think about traditional MMORPGs or traditional games, there always is always a notion of the marketplace, you know, like, um, and so the marketplace is there because essentially you get to, to bring both, uh, like it's a two-sided market, right? You have a buyer and a seller and essentially the, the games marketplace bring these together and they can mediate the transactions. Um, but what happens when you give users the opportunity to trade amongst themselves? What happens when you allow users to hold the reputation? for the trades or the kind of equipment that they do, right? Uh, and what if perhaps now you can have a virtual space within the game, you could get decorated, you could buy land and you could set up however you want and people can engage with it. And what if perhaps that location that you bought is strategic to the game and, you know, perhaps you had the opportunity to come in early and, you know, acquire this land in a strategic location. And so this is how, like, it's different from, you know, traditional Web 2.0 games where you have the ability to kind of improve upon peer-to-peer mechanics and also take advantage of economic incentives overall and then you know you can we can go on and talk about different things that are currently in r d and discussions and like we're trying to model this out but you know like one of the things that i'm very interested on and now we talk about this like into my just like the view is because i'm always like considering like unrestricted pvp and so in traditional Web 2.0 games, some RPGs, you know, unrestricted PvP is a no-no. Like, like, why would you want to allow people to just do PK anywhere? You know, what happens to the new new users and newcomers? And so, you know, that's fine and, and, and dandy in Web 2.0 games because essentially you just get wrecked. You join in as a noob, someone just for fun is going to PK you. And that's it, you're done out of the game, right? You restart again. Um, you know, your 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 to- coins or tokens might get dropped there and you have the opportunity to pick them up or, you know, you get, essentially someone just takes them. 
But if there's uh, some kind of incentive, right, to be a good actor or be a bad actor, then things change. And it perhaps opens up the opportunity for even roles or careers within the game, right? If someone says, you know, there's certain areas where maybe unrestricted PBK is, is, is allowed, um, then what could happen? Well, someone could become a bounty hunter where essentially you can, you know, hunt or try to catch someone who's always PKing. Or perhaps you can introduce a notion of NPCs, right, that have specific roles to patrol and take care of citizens. And, and so I could go on and on on that. And so it's very different from traditional games because, in essence, you know, you could play as, as, a, as a gamer, you could play this game for, like, hours, but how boring or, or how enjoyable, right? What is the play mechanics of you just becoming maybe some sort of cop or guardian? Would you want to be that role forever? Um, and so this is really how, how we're developing Open Era and, you know, how it sends out from, from different games. And then, you know, as, as, as an aside, the other component that we're keenly differentiating ourselves on from traditional Web 2.0 games and other Web 3.0 games is that we focus really on the utility of the NFTs and also the interactiveness of these NFTs. So not only having in-game experiences, but also off-game experiences. And this is where like our wallet and the reason why we built it was really because we always, we looked upon these like <laughs> these amazing, you know, legendary weapons that we built and you look them up in a MetaMask or a Phantom Wallet and they're just boring, right? I would say that traditional Web 3.0 wallets or cryptocurrency wallets are boring wallets. Uh, and so there's an opportunity to kind of engage the user not only in-game, but off-game. And so the other part then we can go into things like play to earn mechanics and more into, you know, the, the how, what we refer to by increasing the utility of entities, but I'll leave it up to you to ask me more. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'm, I'm really curious about is will there be DAOs within, within the game? Um, and if so, like, will like clans or guilds and things like that be able to form their own DAOs and then, Will is it possible that there will be like an overarching DAO of like the entire world that all the players can participate in and, and vote? Yeah, that's interesting, honestly, on top of mind. And I would personally say, I mean, the team thinks, uh, you know, we're thinking about it and they have a pretty much solid idea as a team. Personally, I think we, we should be or everyone should be in the Web 3.0 space in research mode, R&D mode. Um, because, you know, we've been talking to, to YGG, for example, and YGG has an idea of how to get their guilds involved and, you know, the sub-guild uh, system involved. But I think, for example, once you integrate or implement that the guild model that YGG has into the game, it it kind of destroys the experience of the play for, for up-and-coming new members, right? And it kind of centralizes the way that NFTs are distributed towards these large guilds. So... That could be fine for some people. That could be, you know, not so not so good. And so I personally say we're still in R and D, but that's definitely one thing that we're thinking. And you know, like Snacks here from Pizza DAO is, is, is here, and we're talking to other kind of DAOs and NFT projects where we want to give them the opportunity to have maybe their own uh, small regions or worlds where they can go ahead and engage. And I mean, in in, in terms of what we're thinking with Pizza DAO, uh, we'll we'll probably have some kind of like pizza hat drop for token holders of, of pizzas and stuff like that uh, and trying to kind of bring on board other other kind of web 3.0 communities. But as it relates to guilds within the game, I would honestly say that we're still kind of rethinking that model uh, because I personally feel that just adopting the traditional guild model that other, you know, like web 3.0 uh, games or, or DAOs are taking uh, will, will affect the gameplay, honestly. 
I'm actually curious. I, I think the one thing that really fascinates me with these like open world web three connected games is the ability for kind of uh, duplicate economies to uh, be present. It's kind of like what you're hitting on with, you know, people having these jobs, but with that, I'm actually curious from like a developer standpoint, could you see, you know, DeFi protocols potentially having to like buy plots of land. And as people use that plot of land for end game banking services, your currency could actually be deposited to that DeFi DAP on the back end. So it's kind of like it has a rendered 3D model, like bank, if you will. Um, but the DeFi DAP actually had to go in the game, purchase that plot of land. And then anytime, you know, the gamers are interacting with it, it's actually interacting with the DeFi protocol on the back end. Is that kind of how you see the future? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and actually, in, in our deck, when we share with people, we talk a, a bit about that. But not exactly as it relates to uh, you know to land. I think land is a, is a bit of a different topic. But I think being able to integrate existing DeFi protocols into games and kind of provide an, an interface, it's the next generation of gaming, uh, and so something that Web Web two point can't do. Uh, and so we're definitely thinking about that. And also on the side, uh, we we have like for example plugins for Unity and Unreal that allow people to connect to like smart contracts on ethereum and now on solana which we're going to release uh and going going back to your your point on, on the land and i and i mentioned that it's kind of a different topic because you know i think from a speculative pers- uh, perspective you know the notion of land sales you know definitely drives up a lot of economical value for the game and the game in a sense right but it also prices out a lot of gamers and so you know, thinking about that carefully, at least like we have, we're really thinking about that carefully because we don't want to price out, you know, gamers. Like, like how many DGENs will grind out for 12 hours or 10 hours is, is the real question. I always ask a lot of folks that you have on calls and they're like, oh, dude, I want to play RuneScape on the blockchain. I'm like, well, realistically speaking, how many hours do you grind out in this game? And so, you know, keeping ourselves faithful to folks who might enjoy playing this game by not might, might not have the right economical resources i think is key is key for us and so that's why i mentioned a bit of a two different uh two different sides of, of the story to think about but integrations are key honestly yeah i wonder if you know integrating some sort of reputation based currency that you just get just from straight up grinding and having that kind of as like a separate currency do you can, where you can buy these in-game plots. I wonder if that's kind of like a happy medium. Um, but I'm, I'm actually curious, like, uh, what, like what type of items are going to be in the game? I know we talked about land. Um, like what else will people kind of be able to marketize and, and sell in the game? Well, I think a traditional traditional items really from for any other kind of web two point game are gonna are gonna be there. We have some. Okay, so I, I think I guess I could speak about it, but we do have like a bit of a secret NFT project out in the wild uh, right now, uh, and so that's that's gonna be useful at some point within the game. And so uh, if you think about how RuneScape kind of did it and how World of Warcraft did it, someone still in mechanics, but. You know, recently we've been a few calls uh, with some folks running some DAOs and discussing governance and how could we perhaps allow uh, our community to generate content for us. Uh, and so that's a new thing that we've been thinking, thinking, uh, thinking about. Um, but you know, as an aside, when you, when you mentioned, you know, kind of what, what kind of 
uh, items, you know, the notion of buying or trading skills has been in our mind like lately tremendously. And, and perhaps there's an opportunity to do this right. Because, you know, one thing to note really within having items in a quote unquote game or virtual economy is that you want to avoid hyperinflation. If any of you guys here have really grinded through any of these games or some of the games really failed, it's like, you know, hyperinflation really kills you. And so this could happen for any item that, that you know, is, is mined or minted to even like any skill that is, you know, minted. Uh, like you could imagine oversaturating the market with like cooking skills or something or something like that. And so being able to balance that out really is key for any Web 3.0 game. Also, just a random thought. I was just thinking, like, how big is this uh, metaverse? You, you know, if you will, of this game, like, how how big is this going to be, like, size wise? So, in all honesty, we've been developing this for the past uh, four four to five months, probably around that time. Uh, but it's based on a lot of the work that we previously done, and so really, our first official public release or public to release is the tutorial island model and so then we're targeting towards you know around q2 probably or maybe a bit later to doing like a larger scale scale release and then from that we'll, we'll we'll see where it goes um but we'd love to invite you guys to really our up and coming private feature test because you know as i mentioned outside of being an mmorpg you have this notion of a of a metaverse and so what that means really we hope to get some feedback on that yeah that'd be based i'm definitely down Also, um, wanted to ask you, is there going to be like dungeons or raids that these guilds can go and like do together and, and collect uh, special items that have a rare drop? Yep. Yep. I mean, I think that's, that's like definitely needed. That's like a staple of like games like RuneScape and Albion Online. Uh, like the way that we're trying to approach it. And, and again, we're, this, this is feedback. Uh, honestly, we're talking to a few folks on our Discord and also like on the side is, you know, how to manage guilds, this is definitely a big question. But I think, you know, the ideal scenario for, for like, how you would raid a dungeon, for example, is that either you have a guild or you're able to form a party dynamically, right? Like, I meet you and I say, oh, shoot, hey, man, you have these these weapons that I need. Or maybe I say, you know, I'll become some kind of, I'll lead the party and, and I onboard you to, to, to my party. And then we could sign an escrow agreement, right? or a contract that says, you know, we're in a party or in perhaps at the escrow agreement where I can say, all right, guys, you know what, you know, I think you guys, you know, have great skills. So I'm going to go ahead and, and hand over uh, weapons and armors to you. And so there's an escrow contract that, that could say that these items are only in your wallet. So you're holding them, you know, or I have access to them momentarily until we, you know, essentially clear the dungeon or finish the quest. I'm actually uh, curious. This kind of makes me think of um, I was recently looking into uh, New World, and I, I think that they have some sort of governing structure for the the factions over certain cities. So I'm actually curious, like, what would that look like in a in a in a metaverse where maybe a DAO has to actually kind of take economic like ownership and kind of implement policies to run that region. And, you know, any sort of uh, marketable trades that happen in that marketplace, there's kind of a fee that goes into their own treasury and they have to kind of like 
it's up to their, you know, economic responsibility, if you will, that like particular region. Have you guys ever thought of kind of implementing something to that level? Yeah, Chase, I think, you, sorry, you cut off for the first half on my end. Can you repeat the question really quick? Oh, repeat. man. Okay. Yeah. So I was just saying, I, I was looking to um, open world recently, and I, I think a portion of that game, they have it to where um, like the factions own maybe a settlement or like a, you know, like a guild will own like a certain settlement and they will create kind of the, the economic conditions of like what the fees will be whenever you go to like a marketplace or whatever. Right. Um, so I'm curious, like, have you guys ever thought about implementing economic models like that, where maybe certain cities, I mean, if there are, you know, larger cities within this game, like what would it look like if a DAO had to actually kind of like purchase a city, if you will, or somehow, and they kind of create that economic model within, and that way it kind of creates a like self-governing, um, economic model within these larger coexisting models, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, I think all you're saying is definitely like the, what any Web 3.0 game will achieve. And I would probably be over-promising to say that we could accomplish that in such a short, short time for a definitely ideal scenario. But there's, there's like so many unanswered questions, like uh, when you think about that, because you know, well, then what happens if this DAO, you know, runs the city, right, or owns this land? So if you've been in, in DAOs, you know, managing DAOs and just the way that it personally work, a lot of things could go wrong. And if you look at games, like, for example, uh, shoot, just the, the name escaped my name, I think is Legions. It was this one game where essentially uh, there was this huge guild that just essentially overtook this city. Uh, because they thought that the other guild was just like they're being like jerks and they're PKing people, etc. <laughs> and after they overtook the city, uh, they pretty much became jerks themselves to everyone else. Uh, and so these are these are social economic questions, you know, that you see happen in the real world. But once you have some sort of economic, real like economic incentive that can be turned into some real world value, things change. But in ideal scenarios, right, the entire future of having just cryptocurrencies and gaming leads to that the ability to do that right but then you know i would post back to you the questions or make you think about you know what is that what happens well what do you think would happen if you know there's a game developer and you know they build this game and then essentially a DAO ends up buying like like a large region or a popular region in town for some reason right Maybe it's a malicious attack. They buy it. They pretty much pricing out people. They do whatever they want. Maybe it's a competitor, right? What would you do as a developer? Will, and, and essentially, this entire you know DAO that's on this region is is decreasing your DAUs, right? Your daily active users. What would you do as a game developer, or what do you think should be done? Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, I think in that moment, you definitely can't take any strong hand approach as I could really kind of collapse the entire ecosystem. But um, it's an important question to ask. I think it's something that, you know, maybe you set KPIs to where you set kind of ranges, right? So you can't have extreme takeovers in a sense, but um, maybe it makes the game kind of like a little bumpy for a month or two during a portion of time. But um no, that's a, I don't have the question right off the top of my head, but it's a good, like, reflect back type style question. 
yeah, one idea I kind of have is to do like a game wipe. Um, so I don't know, every quarter you wipe the entire world and it's like a reset, right? If they're trying to make it fair for all players, that is, that's pretty fair. You know, maybe you keep some sort of traits or your skills or items, but maybe the world wipes and you can kind of go in and reclaim. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm actually going to, yeah, can you, if you bring Tomas up, he's actually, um, he's leading a lot of the game design. I'll let him chime in on that too. Yeah, which he's one? the one with the zombie ape. Tomas, you want to raise your hand? I see, I think. There's only one zombie ape I see, so it's got to be him. Yeah, with the red cup. With the red cup. The striped cup. Chase, okay. do you see it? Anybody else see it? Uh, I, I, I don't. Yeah, okay. I don't. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, you know, but then again, so that's a bit of a coercive approach, right? Because you're essentially, I mean, yes, I think, I guess, if beforehand you think about this, you said, okay, there will be a wipe, then I guess the community is okay with it. But, you know, from where things are heading, and I mean, things are heading is because essentially people propose it and just goes that way. A lot of people are talking about persistent worlds, right? virtual persistent worlds and so the notion of wiping a game or you know like just maybe even the economy it's it's kind of against that trend i, I would say but you know it, it almost makes sense though for for having types of mini games within these worlds i think i don't know if you guys play rust Anybody yeah that's rust? exactly what i was thinking about <laughs> when when you mentioned all this yeah i love uh, that <laughs> all right cool and your love or ideas because you know essentially within the game we're building like different mini games and we've been we've been working towards developing like some rust mechanics inside inside open era right actually our first release was supposed to be last month with a battle royale a no loss battle royale uh, we were using serum though and serum was their product wasn't ready and they're releasing a new feature so hopefully that, that'll come out maybe after uh, salon lisbon but in those scenarios i would say that yeah like doing a wipe makes sense but in the context of being a tournament uh, perhaps, right? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think it's going to be a challenge, and you know, this it's so new, all this. So I'm sure there'll be lessons learned from uh, from other projects that we can ingest, and <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be some really interesting scenarios. Yeah, I'm actually curious. It seems like that you know, there's going to be a lot of connectivity. Um, outside open errors metaverse and getting data in and data out? Like, how do you guys plan on approaching that? So are you referring to towards the data itself that the game is processing? Or are you referring to like transactions in particular? Yeah, and just kind of like the connectivity, right? Like if there's DeFi protocols that are going to be involved um, and you need that kind of connection if you will like outside the open era metaverse but stuff is still kind of coming through um outside the the metaverse that you guys are building yeah that's like an implementation side but in our case we're starting out with solana and we've been playing around like different multi-chain you know features perhaps but currently everything will be on solana so you know at that point it's i guess from the context of the game it's just being able to either allow users to develop, for example, virtual land or infrastructure, and then connect them to a particular protocol, 
or just ourselves just linking that behind the scenes. Uh, it's, it's not big of a deal. Um, we've actually done it before. Uh, but I think, I, I guess I thought your question initially was in terms of data. Like, what do you do with players' data? That's a different question, I think, that Web 3.0 games and users should have. Um, I'm also curious, like within the game, uh, will you be, be utilizing VR or AR technology? Um, I know you mentioned like making a wallet, you know, a lot of the wallets are super boring. Uh, I've seen some NFT projects be able to utilize like AR technology through like their smartphones. You could see the 3D model in, in real space. I don't know if you guys are planning to do anything like that with the characters or the items. Yeah, absolutely. I think this plays into our strategy. And so I guess I'll go ahead and, and retweet um, our previous video. But, you know, going back to my earlier comments, when we were developing a lot of the assets and some of them was just AI generated, we thought it was pretty cool. And we looked at it in these, these three model software like Blender uh, and Cinema, Cinema 4D. And, you know, just seeing them animated, there's there's a lot of... Um, a, a lot of... Uh, a lot of value, right, for you to be able to see here and even feel the assets. But when we went ahead and displayed them uh, on like MetaMask, on Chrome browsers, you know, or, or Phantom, that kind of magic sort of disappears. And so to us, we realized it's not only just the ability to create the content, right, in NFTs, but also how you consume it. Right, and so current wallets or current applications don't provide you an immersive way to consume the content. And so from then on, we just started building kind of like what we call uh, a gaming NFT wallet that allows you to do that. You know, it allows you to do things like at a very simple level, very basic level is decorate maybe your house, right? With your, with your NFTs and perhaps being able to connect them to their NFT. So maybe if you have an audio NFT and you have, you know, like a regular JPEG NFT, you could put it on your wall and then maybe you could link it to another NFT that plays that song. And so now when your friends come over, right, you, you tell them, hey, let me share you my virtual space or my augmented space. So you share that space with them and they can literally walk up to the NFT that's on your wall and be able to see it and hear it. Now, the next step from that is, you know, improving the interaction and that relates to you know how we're doing things different in terms of our wallet so for example we're building the abilities for people to do things like pvp and augmented space uh, and also the ability for other collections or nfts to kind of create these immersive experiences but yeah i went ahead and shared the, the latest uh, video for for the wallet and so you guys can kind of look at my latest tweet before the tag to kind of get an idea of the wallet Cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna pin it at the top of the the Twitter space for you guys. Hey, also Irvin. Um, so near the end of these spaces, we typically bring on some people from the community to ask questions. Are you um up for that? Yeah, for sure, definitely. Cool. Perfect. Johnny, I'm bringing you on. You can go and ask him your question. Yeah, I want to. How you doing, Johnny? And I want to give a quick shout Let's out to Poker House. I just saw them join in. To who? I apologize. Hey, oh, to Poker House. 
Hey, shout out Puppy House. <laughs> What's up, guys? How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Hey, uh, Erwin, I really had a question for you. Um, if you guys don't mind, I'm just gonna pin up a tweet for like a minute here. Um, cause uh, so I asked an Anatolia question, and then he kind of gave me this reply, and I felt like some of the terms were um, you know, a little bit technical or something. <laughs> sure. But then, but then, but then, you know, I realized my brain's just not working because you know I, I I read the rest of the tweet. I read it like another three times, and then it literally says what the VDF stands for and everything. But I was wondering. You you cut out. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah, Jenny. Sorry, you cut. You cut out. Did you finish asking your question? I think you might have cut out. Johnny? Yeah. Yeah. Let me see let's go and, uh, let's go and bring someone else up in the meantime. We can try to get Johnny's question. We got another one. Uh, What's up, Bob? Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the question. Um, I guess, two, one from a development approach standpoint, do you plan to take more of a kind of developing out in the open approach where you release a beta, say in the next six months, people have the ability to start testing and get familiar with the system, or are you trying to make more of a polished product and put something out in you know, a year or two? I guess just curious about what the overall kind of timeline and approach is with respect to how good of a product you're trying to put out there. Yeah, no, and honestly, I would be honest, you know, with, with myself and say that we, we've been very low key on the marketing side. I think we're very key behind the scenes, kind of trying to build the tech, the infrastructure and the tech beforehand, which is kind of unlike other projects that sort of show you like a cinematic video. And, you know, it's not even like actual gameplay. Other projects are kind of just chilling stuff. And so we do have built out a lot of stuff. And I think probably this week, this week, Coming up to to listen, for example, we're gonna do another uh, test flight release for the wallet itself, and now we also have a metaverse space that we're testing in private alpha, and so we're definitely gonna be starting out and and, and doing uh, public private betas first, and then public public second. But I think anybody here who's in this space, I'm down to give you guys access to this. So just feel free to to tag me or like end of the post, and we'll definitely do it. That's awesome. Yeah, I've, I see some games like Star Atlas where I'm just like, this is going to come out in 2025 when three cycles later and no one cares anymore. So um, good to hear you guys are, are, you know, developing in public and being a little more transparent about what's going on behind the scenes. Just one other question real quick. Um, you know, DeFi Kingdoms, do you take any kind of inspiration from other games you're seeing out there? You know, could you put a DEX on this game to kind of add some economic value or do you see that as being offset by you know regulatory risk from having a dex on the game thanks yeah that is that's is like a, a tough question uh so serum is one of our supporters and they gave us a grant early on and, and the idea from that is to allow players to essentially build their own exchanges uh and so i think earlier i mentioned that you currently we have a world creator part where you can essentially put together like a small uh, small house or any kind of like like mini castle if you had the resources and then you can turn this into an exchange 
And so behind the scenes, we just connect to Serum and you can create your own your own markets. So there's definitely the idea behind the behind the scenes. Uh, now the other part is really you know from the regulatory perspective. And so you know talking to our legal counsel, you know bit bit license in New York is kind of coming out of this thing where it's kind of impact a lot of um, NFT prospects. So we're on the lookout for uh, on that. Uh, and honestly, I think if there's a game that is really integrating cryptocurrency NFTs, they are not or will not be accessible by US US citizen. But we're we're working towards that to see if we can actually be able to reach uh, the US market in a in a regulatory compliant way. Thanks so much. I'll pass it on to the next person. Yep. Thank you, Hyperion, for coming on and asking that. Johnny, did you have uh, your question ready? Or if there was a second part to that question? Yeah, so I, I, I kind of sort of just realized that I didn't really... I mean, I was going to ask really about, like, uh, what, what what are some of the instances, like, you find yourself in a place where, you know, you can't yield some online results when you don't know what terms to search for? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think I just saw your tweet, yeah, right? It, it sounds simple like that. It was your tweet? Yeah, actually, everybody here, I have Tomas and Sean listening to you. Um, yeah, we actually have our own hacker house, so we're all here coding, but... Are you in Chicago? <laughs> no, no, we're nearby. We stopped by the Chicago office from time to time to Solana. Uh, Solana. Okay, yo, stop by November 17th, please. Okay, yeah, what's, what's happening? Because we'll be having a meeting. We'll be having a meeting. Uh, there'll be some of the Chicago Hacker House guys there, and uh, uh, we're trying to get Brett from FTX there as well. And some of the Monkey Dow members will be attending. So, oh, what's the name of the, the something meeting? Something like that, maybe... Just some pizza. I'm gonna add you to the group if, sure. if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely do it. And uh, awesome. I'll, I'll I'll invite Brett and uh, other Solana folks as well. And Tristan from FTX is also over there too. Absolutely, yeah. yeah we have Brett already uh, in in uh, in the members group, and then also Bartosh. Uh, okay. But uh, anyone uh, you know local uh, that's in the community, definitely more than welcome to join. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. Yo, stay based there. Yo, stay based. And we yeah. want pizza they, too, man. We we like pizza as well. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Yo, the craziest part, craziest part, somebody, uh, a member in the chat, he just put in that the place we were looking to meet at, like some uh, uh, federal agencies came down there and then like busted the two locations and they like retrieved some kind of paperwork. <laughs> Something in the article about that, but not not too clear so we're right now we're working on a different uh venue or a different place we gotta uh, make this happen at yeah you know chicago chicago life interesting yeah yeah but i think you should yeah you should reach out to to solana bartosh and jordan you know interesting who's been you know a key towards the development here at open era is also over there in chicago so you know they may be interested in definitely stopping by uh, but Johnny, yeah, to to really short like answer your question, I think, yeah, I mean personally, I just grind it out. But I've gotten to a point where sometimes it just makes sense to kind of step back, uh, and maybe even take a shower. That's that's what I usually do sometimes because I realize that sometimes when I'm either taking a shower or just sitting somewhere, you know, everything just coalesces together. And and I definitely say really from experience of grinding a ton of hackathons. You know, over the past year, and literally, like, if, if you go to my death post, or I think I was having my LinkedIn, you see the list of hackathons. You know, sometimes you just got to step back and take and take a break. So, you know, that's always it's always a critical thing. But 
definitely keep on grinding and you know drink water and and stay uh friendly to everyone yo that's what's up man you you said it yeah a cold shower definitely <laughs> things like that and drink more water oh man oh that's a good feeling nice to be here appreciate you again everybody stay stay based let's i'm gonna switch back to listening thanks, thanks johnny thank you john enjoy the pizza <laughs> hey Irvin, I, um, I, I oh go ahead yeah go okay. ahead no no i had ahead. a i had a question for the audience is there is there um in-game uh video like or video of in-game play out there anywhere yet yeah it was uh there's some there's like three videos out there one of them was the first from the from the sauna hackathon after the next development and there's also another video out there from the uh the latest uh tutorial island version and probably just seen probably in a week or two we're going to release another 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 video probably after Solana Lisbon. is that like so, on a, a youtube account or how, how can they find that yeah, it's in the Solana account, and I believe we also just set up our our YouTube account. Uh, I think Phoenix is managing that right now. Phoenix at Open Dive HQ. Uh, yep. Right now, there's a, there's a our Open Era lore video. The first part of our lore was just released, so if you want to go check that out, that's the first video on our Open Dive YouTube. Yeah, but. If you guys definitely want to test out this new feature, uh, I'm pretty psyched about about this this new feature and sort of being able to interact with people. Do let me know. So you know, maybe tag me on the comment or something, and and I'll get you guys on board. It's actually on test flight right now. Awesome. Does anyone does anyone else from the audience have questions? We'll we'll give you like a few more seconds. Uh, just hit that request button. I just want to say, by the way, Irvin, this has been a really based discussion, and I personally am uh, super excited to to test Open Era and just wait for it to come out. It sounds like a really cool game. Yeah, so, um, yeah. There, there's something just extremely fascinating around creating uh, these digital metaverses, these like digital worlds that we can kind of replicate real world. Um, value in a sense you know it's kind of like creating economies within economies uh i find that aspect of this technology and this creativity just like really fascinating so it's it's gonna be really interesting to see your guys journey from here um and see what you guys build yeah a bunch second everything everything they said just really really appreciate the time and i i also really enjoyed the your background at goldman sachs i think that that's like a really unique uh, perspective we haven't heard on the show before and um yeah it's definitely it's definitely really cool to see uh banks starting to you know accept the technology and adopt it don't forget that every company is a game company one way or another that is the future we're all playing a game <laughs> even the <laughs> even our current system it's just one game welcome to the metaverse <laughs> 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 all right just really really appreciate the time i guess like any any closing thoughts you want to leave the audience with before we uh, wrap up yeah i would say in honesty my comment was that every company is a gaming company in a sense um because even no matter what kind of product you're building essentially in the future it'll be usable in a virtual world 
I think the future of the metaverse is not just virtual spaces, but the bridge between the physical and the virtual. And it's what we call a cyber physical. So I think everyone should be on the lookout for that. And yeah, stay safe. Thanks a bunch. And then if you guys want to, you know, come and try our stuff, definitely hop on our Discord and love to have everyone on board. And thanks a bunch for your time. Much love. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, we do record these. Are you cool with us posting it on our YouTube? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Could you actually send that Sweet. over um, somehow to one of us? That would be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Once it's uh, once it's edited, I'll I'll post it. I'll send the link. Awesome! Thanks so much. Thanks for having us.